Adam, can you hear us? Yes, I can. How oh. are we, guys? Ah, das ist wunderbar. What is up, man? Excellent. How are we, man? We good? We're good, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is great. I've got, listen, We're going to have a good time. We're going to talk some priest. We're going to drink some beers. Yes. And we are going to talk about a relatively contentious subject among priest fandom. So it's going to be an interesting episode. That certainly is. It's going to be great fun. Oh, yes. I couldn't agree more. Will you be joining us on the video, sir? I am in progress. There it is right there. Ah, there we are. Excellent. Oh, Soph Black. Oh, Soph Black. You, you get it. <laughs> yeah. It's always good to have a wrestling fan on board. Yeah. Yes, George is the much bigger AEW fan than I am, but I do enjoy <laughs> it when we hang out and watch it. Yeah, it's always good fun. I mean, yes. anything is good fun when you and if you're in the mood for it, really. But yeah, AEW always always wins. Hundred percent agreed. Okay, what is up, Metal Maniacs? You've got Tom. You've got George. And you've got ads. And you've got another, another podcast, podcast coming. coming. Cheers, ah, gentlemen. Cheers. All right, Cheers. boys. What are we drinking today? You started up, Ads, since you um, are drinking something probably we can't even get over here where we live. Possibly not. This is a local beer from Victoria, Australia, where I'm living and currently freezing. Uh, so I'm going for the dark beer today. It's a Monteith's black beer. Kind of a craft beer, but still very easily uh, obtainable from pretty much any reputable grocer. But it's full-bodied. Got a decent uh, um, amount of caramel flavor to, uh, flavor to it, and it's about 6% alcohol, which, considering it's 11 a.m. for me right now, it's a perfect way to start a Saturday. There we go. More. That's and that looks nice and dark, man. Oh, yeah. Yep. That, about the dark beer and dark coffee, man. Mm. Yep, I've already had one of them, so this is going to balance out horribly by the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to work great. Don't say things like that. <laughs> maintain a positive attitude oh, i mean horrible in the brutal great way oh, well yeah, probably there we go yeah you right. know Absolutely. exactly george what are you sipping on what i got over here a nice little kona big wave golden ale kona is nice and chill and drinkable one of my favorite lagers and i go through a lot of these in the summer mm. lovely so I'm actually, I don't even know how I managed to secure this because I've got a fall beer with me. I've got Sam Adams Jacko Pumpkin Ale. Now, it's got a very vibrant flavor because you've got all the notes that you're trying to hit. You've got pumpkin, cinnamon, nutmeg, all really well balanced in a fantastic brew that only has about 4.4% alcohol by volume. So you can definitely slam a few of these back. Yeah. Question, Tom, is yeah. the flavor vibrant because it's an autumn beer that you found at the back bottom of your closet from two years ago? <laughs> Believe it or not, they actually had this on sale at my one of my local beverage centers. So I actually there managed to secure it nice and cold, but I don't know. It feels like almost wrong to be drinking at this time of year. It's like you're either three months early or you're nine months late. Yeah, exactly. And like, I've got the air conditioner on in the background and that juxtaposition just doesn't feel right, but I don't care because this beer tastes so good. Well, there we go. Whatever works, man. <sighs> this definitely works. Perfect. 
All right. It's about time that we introduced our guest for the day. Mm-hmm. Ads, how do you want me to introduce you? Just ads? You want me to use your full name? or Ads will do. I mean, you know, all my friends know me as that. We're all friends here, so let's just go with there that. Okay. Ads All right. Is. Well, we've got a very cool Judas Priest fan who we met on Twitter. His name is Ads, and... As soon as I started the podcast and started messing about on Twitter, it wasn't long before I ran into him. And I noticed that his bio was a Halford for every month. And he actually changes his profile picture to a different Rob Halford every month. And as soon as I saw that, I said, you know what? This guy's cool. We're going to get along. Yeah, any sort of Halford presence on someone's timeline is a pretty good indication. This person's probably pretty, pretty rad. Hell Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, Ed, yeah, that's. I think it's about time that we turn it over to you, man, and you can tell us about the mystery of who you are and how you got into Judas Priest. Well, who I am is not that exciting, really. Late 30s metalhead, been listening to this stuff for way too much time for my for my own good and i regret not a second of it yes well okay the first time i listened to demolition maybe i regretted that a little <laughs> bit but don't we all yeah exactly and getting into judas priest was very much uh, an intentional thing because you know you you read magazines especially at the uh, in the early 2000s and go okay these bands are cool who influenced them iron maiden yeah okay i already know who iron maiden are and judas priest hmm, okay i gotta look at these guys and First album that I uh, that I got got my hands on. Yeah, you follow all the advice. Which one's their classic album? It's British Steel, right? So you start there. That album didn't hit me straight away, you know, because at that time, you know, early two thousands, I was listening to a lot of metalcore, a lot of hardcore, and I was expecting, you know, heavy metal. What I got was what was heavy metal at the time, and it sounded a little bit dated. I'm like, okay, maybe these guys aren't that great. Mm, okay, I'll give it one more album. Let's go with something that's more recent. That was Jugulator. Yeah. Okay. Now I got it. <laughs> um, it was, it's a much maligned album. One of the ones you don't like, people don't like to talk about it, but I love it. It's, mm-hmm. I still have a, a great affinity for it now, not just because it's one of the first, but because it's just good. The Jugulator fan base is very vocal, man. It's not, yep, it's yep. not everyone, but there is a decent number of people who love that album. Yep. And yeah, and we have reason. to acknowledge that. As we yep. have mentioned, there are priest diehards for every era of the band. Absolutely. And that's great. Because himself identifies Jugulator as one of his favorites. There you go. I mean, what other endorsement do you need? If the guy who helped write the album says it's great, well, who are you to say otherwise? And then from there, it finally clicked. Going through, uh, through all the back catalog, realizing that pretty much every album they've got is just great for different reasons. Progression of the band from starting out as just a you know typical rock and roll band, and going through a prog phase, deciding they wanted to streamline and adopt this heavy metal thing and define it, refine it, and give it to us as we know it now. And now we got a band who is still kicking on very, very strong and has not rested on their laurels at any point, and it still continues to give us something new and exciting. You know, you can't really say that about many other bands that are of that ilk. Freeze are just so special and yeah. always have been and probably always will be right until the end. Well said, my friend. Very well said. Totally agreed. They are Thank special. You. And it's that exact career progression where they've tried so many different things and largely succeeded at almost all of it mm-hmm. and that you talked about. And to me, 
that's just a big part of the appeal. I totally agree with you. Then from from there, well, here we are. <laughs> you know, Indeed. you go from enjoying the albums, diving into the albums, finding people who enjoy the same things as you, finding people to argue about who don't enjoy the same things as you, and you know, finding that they're all pretty much wrong and your opinions are flawless as always. That's always nice. <laughs> of course. No, it's not easy being right all the time. I get it. Yeah, it's 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 such a weight to carry. It's not good for my lower back, but it's a no, no one else is going to do it. Scorn. It is a burden. Believe me. Yep. <laughs> but no one else is going to do it it may as well be me so you've been into judas priest probably a couple of decades now you said you were yeah. getting into it during like that 2000s metalcore era and that's probably the same for me and tom around the mid 2000s when we got to middle school and high school started getting a little more into metal mm-hmm. and obviously the bands that are popular at the time you know you listen to lamb of god you listen to kill switch engage and slipknot but you also try to go back and research some of the classics too, because you got to know the roots exactly like you said. Yeah, absolutely. You can't figure out where you're going or where you are until you look at where you've been, which is actually kind of a really bad segue into Nostradamus himself. But that's very much how it was for me. You know, I like the style of music who paved this way. And in the process, I found my favorite band. I can't yeah. complain about that. It is really funny though, like sort of that, everyone or at least most people have an experience of like priest did not hit me immediately i don't like to use the term acquired taste necessarily but you know a lot of people find themselves having to go back later and reassess their opinion yeah no that's that's 100 percent sure um it really depends on where you start yeah you start somewhere like i did with something that's more of a classic metal vibe when you're used to the heavier stuff like kill switch and lamb of god it's it's a jarring transition whereas if you go from something like that to say a painkiller or jugulator and it rings a little bit more closer to home it'll draw you in a little bit better it just really depends but judas priest is just that kind of band where it doesn't really matter what you're into it doesn't really matter what you're feeling at the time they chances are they've got an album that will suit your mood they have something for a lot of people and we say that a lot and i think that it's totally true. I feel like the yeah. only genre of metal that they haven't really covered at length was like new metal. They stayed pretty far away from that at the time. Not on Demolition, man. I mean, yeah. they've heard it a little. Like, it doesn't close get to, to the level of like he is literally rapping. I mean, there's definitely some new metal influence in there, but I wouldn't say that they went to the full like rap metal extreme. They never God, went fully down that rabbit hole. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. And this is coming from someone who actually enjoys new metal. So, oh, look, new metal was where I started. You know, I yeah. first heard the Corn album and everything changed. So, yeah, I, yeah. I definitely still enjoy it too. I'm not sure how I'd feel about it if Judas Priest said it. Look, I'd probably enjoy it. I'd probably wind up defending it at some point because, you know, I'm just hopeless like that. But I'm, a, uh, yeah, I'm okay with them not doing it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. And listen, it could have happened if things went slightly different in history. I mean, to this day, Rob Halford identifies Korn's debut album as one of his top 10 metal albums. And yeah. even though I personally might not feel the same, like I got to respect that if it's in Halford's top 10, there must be something really good about it. Yeah, there's some merit to it, or at least something that he sees in it that is remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. And I see it too. You know, I have gone into that album so many times that I don't need to ever do it ever again because yeah. i know it back to front 
but yeah, for Rob Halford to say it, I mean, again, what kind of what more of an endorsement do you need? It, yeah, really, exactly. Yeah. actually curious to see if he, if he ever will do anything like that like even on his solo career not i mean that kind curious, of did, maybe he, george like on his solo career he kind of fucked around with rapping a little bit yeah that industrial album too yeah there was that yeah then yeah, that was so, uh that's something i'm not things, looking forward to getting on to on this speaking show. of things i wish had never happened let's talk about nostradamus yes we should <laughs> Because it's the 14th anniversary of Nostradamus right about now. I came did out not in... need to know that album came out 14 years ago. So thank you for that. <laughs> you feel now, I, I feel incredibly old. Yeah, I think we've all established that we're all older, more distinguished gentlemen, George. So um, yeah, yeah, didn't need to rub that in, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm only turning 30 this year, so I'm, I'm getting there. Believe me. Oh, yeah, you've and got happy, some ways to go. <laughs> and happy to be there. So yeah. Cue the wave of listener comments, raking Tom over the coals for talking yeah. about how old he is. Uh, uh, <laughs> He's not hitting his 30th shut birthday up. till later this year. I know. I know. All of you shut up. I hear you. I hear you. But yeah. <laughs> Nostradamus yeah. is our album and Prophecy is our song mm-hmm. tied together with the intro track, yeah. Dawn of Creation, because they go together. And Adam, you chose yeah. the song Prophecy. So tell us why you chose Prophecy. Because... It is a fantastic little troll of a song for this uh, to open up this album. You know, Dawn of Creation sets this tone of something epic and grandiose, which of course the album goes into. And then with Prophecy, it kicks into a pretty classic sounding Judas Priest riff. It does sound like something that you could have easily lifted off Screaming for Vengeance, like a B-side there. And then what, ha- what follows after that album is completely not that vain. I mean, there are some flourishes of that, but it's a good way to hook people in to go, okay, this is going to be a fun Judas Priest listen. Mm. Not really. <laughs> Sorry about that, but yeah, I hope you enjoy the song. Doesn't really stand up for me. And I've actually kind of often equated it as sort of a bizarro Priest album that feels like it's from a different timeline where mm. Priest never became a metal band. Yeah, That's kind of like the vibe that I get from this album. Like if they had stuck with the sound of Sad Wings and Sin After Sin, this is where they would have wound up. And probably a lot earlier than they did. Yeah. This is something that probably could have easily wound up in the 90s. Mm. Who knows how it would have been received if they had done it then. Uh, but, you know, again, just timelines. But we got it when we got it in 2008, I think it was. That's right. Yeah. And for me, straight away from the center, that's uh, that song. I'm like, okay, this is going to be fun. A lot of people didn't follow it along, and that's fine. There is a lot going on in this album. So it's not something that you listen to straight away and go, this is great. It's something you got to listen to a good 20-odd times before you start to see, oh, no, okay, yeah, this, this is cool. But that first song just held so much promise and just sucked people right, well, sucked me right in. 
And it kept my attention enough that I kept going back to it. Okay, no, there's, there's got to be something to it. They can't just have that one really great song and then nothing else is good. And they didn't. I did wind up finding a lot of gold in that album. But that's where it started, in Prophecy. That's how I felt about Evil's second album. They released a banger single called Infected Nations, and the rest of the album is just kind of generic crap. <laughs> Again, well, if you revisit it, then you start to see that's a little better than you give it credit for. And in that way, it's comparative to Nostradamus as well. I, I mean, so here's kind of the point that I was thinking of. Like, if an album does not stand out on its first listen, if you have to listen to it several times in order to sort of understand it and enjoy it, does that album stand up on its own merits? Short answer to that is maybe. <laughs> it really depends on the album. Okay. I can tell you, can you have... that some of my favorite albums took me at least a few lessons before I started to appreciate it even more. I mean, fair enough. That's how I felt the first time I heard the band Nile. I thought it was trash at first, and then I kept listening, and I'm like, okay, I get it. Yep. It was the same thing with Dream Theater's concept album, Saints from Memory. I heard it, recognized it was good, didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Came back to it a few times, and it clicked, and that album is in my Mount Rushmore now. So, Oh, good. Um, yeah. So th- th- there are definitely some albums where you come back to it and go, yep, this is fantastic. I'm glad I came back to this. This is worth it. And there are some where you come back to it a few times and go, yeah, okay, look, this was good. I got something good out of it, but I might've been better off spending my time uh, elsewhere. I'm still trying to have that like come to Jesus moment that I'm supposed to have with Iron Maiden and it just hasn't happened yet. So like, that's like a point of contention with me and so many people is like, how do you not like Iron Maiden? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't care for them. Iron Maiden, look, we could go on and on about that, but I get it. Iron Maiden are great. They are fantastic. When Iron Maiden are great, they're really not great. So, you know, and they've got a long enough career now that they can, you know, build a good live set list of all their great stuff and leave out all the not so great stuff. Sure. I mean, for me, they're kind of like in the same vein of like the Beatles, where I will never, ever understate or underappreciate the contributions that they made to metal as a genre, the same way the Beatles contributed to rock and roll, but personally, it's just not for me. Agreed, 100%. They do have a couple of really good songs, but... Oh, of course they do, yeah. They've got some yeah, songs that are straight bangers. I'll, I mean, I do not I do not hate Iron Maiden. Yeah, yeah. just don't. I'm Love saying because we've already had this conversation. Yeah, this Tom. is a conversation <laughs> me and George have had. We've been having this conversation for like 15 years. Probably most yeah. of our lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it... it, it it bears repeating yeah, at yeah. the end of the day. We are not here to talk about Iron Maiden. We are here to talk about Jewish priests, and very specifically, we are talking about prophecy. So let's really dig into this song and go over it beat by beat. Yeah, we should. And I'm excited because we haven't talked about Nostradamus in a while. Yeah, and I'm Revelations last year. And I'm excited to get a perspective from someone who enjoys this album because yeah. I personally don't care for it. But hearing the perspective of someone who does, who knows, maybe maybe I'll change my mind. This is why maybe. we do it. And we talk about how diverse the Sound of Judas Priest is and how yeah. diverse the fan base can be because there's an album or a song for everyone. And that's why in order for us to really do this podcast right, sometimes it can't just be me and Tom. We have yeah. to get in those voices of all the Priest fans, the people who like the songs that we don't. So they can try and turn us around. Absolutely. Yep. Or if not, it's just fun to argue. And sometimes that's fun fun too. Yeah. Because if we agree all the time, then where's the fun in that? 
Yeah, exactly. It's no fun if everyone just agrees with me. Come on, fight me a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it is fun. It's just not sustainable fun. So here we go. Let's have a listen. it's definitely got a really it's got a really nice piano melody going on in there and like i said the thurmond is a really nice touch for that kind of weird sort of like esoteric outer spacey vibe yeah it definitely gives that give that vibe that uh, that the title has dawn of creation you know this is yeah. where everything co- is coming together and mm-hmm. and in a way as well it's how nostradamus himself would have been seeing it too in his in his mind's eye or however you want to have that describe it or opiate induced coma and you know, whatever but yeah it definitely sets that vibe it definitely sets the thing that okay this is going to be a journey so you know get ready ads i was going to ask you actually how familiar are you with nostradamus as a figure because I think me and George only kind of have like a cursory understanding of him as a person. I'd say mine is about cursory as well. Okay. Just in preparation for this, I did do a little bit of research on him. He's, I don't know, I kind of think he, as a character, as a person, is not that interesting. There are definitely some aspects from the life that he led, more specifically in the era that he lived, that he lived in, that were interesting, you know, being you know witness to the plague and the Renaissance and everything that occurred during that period, that is interesting from the perspective. He is a person, I don't know, didn't seem like he was that interesting beyond his literary works, which kind of only became notable uh, long after his death. So oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting they went with him considering you know he didn't actually become famous until uh, it was all a posthumous thing. But yeah. at, at, at the same time, and but and going through the, the the history of his life as well, they've definitely taken a little bit of liberties with the timeline of, of his life. Okay. But as there's a good saying that we have here in Australia: "Don't let the truth get in the way of a good yarn." So, yeah, they, <laughs> they were going more for a story than historical accuracy, which well, that's fine. Yeah. yeah, it's like the same thing with television shows or movies that are based on people's lives because people's lives do not follow a three act structure. So, a lot of things have to be changed for the sake of brevity and storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, going more for rather than following his life so much, which again didn't seem that uh, that interesting. It's more trying to get a feel for how he viewed not just the world, but his own prophecies as well. So 
it's a good intro to set that tone. Do we want to just mention that instrumentation is pretty, like you said, eerie, but it also has kind of a beauty to it. And it definitely builds like from the very beginning, it's very low and slow, but you can feel it morphing into something as the seconds and the minutes roll forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, we have keyboards from Don Airy, and we have strings from Pete Whitfield on this album. Pete Whitfield, I haven't heard of, but Don Airy is pretty famous for his work in Deep Purple and Sabbath and a ton of other bands. So there he's you go. definitely well, yeah, got, He's definitely got some notches in that belt, we'll say. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, so love or hate these orchestral parts, you know, you can't deny that they brought in someone really talented to do them. And it wasn't Priest's first time working with Aerie. He's made some guest appearances on other Priest songs, including Touch of Evil on Painkiller. Oh, really? That's him playing those those harpsichords, huh? No kidding. That's him. Wow. Okay. Huh. That's, that's amazing. Go. Yeah, your Priest fun fact for the day. All right. All right. I appreciate it. Definitely. Yeah, let's kick this song into motion, man. That riff that you you were talking about there adds, you know what? I get it. That's a riff that can definitely get my head swinging. Sure. Definitely had a little bop going. Yep. And big shout out to Scott Travis as well, who really doesn't get enough credit in the metal drumming world at all. So I got to give him a prop there. But on this album, he's smoking. I don't love the way the drums sound and the production and the mix here, but that's a whole other conversation we can have about the album. But he is on fire here. He's pulling out some great fills, some great beats. He's just keeping it all together, but at the same time, making it sound fantastic. Yeah. Quick shout out to Scott. Yeah. Yeah. He really doesn't No one. It's weird. Like as legendary as his drumming is, he doesn't really get talked about a whole lot, does he? Yeah. I kind of feel that happens with Priest full stop. You, yeah. you see it all the time. People talk about their favorite guitarists. Tipton and Downing 
of you know Sneep and Faulkner now, um, they just don't get mentioned anywhere near as much as say the guys in Iron Maiden or even the guys in Metallica now. Not yeah. taking anything away from those guys, but Tipton Downing definitely belong in that uh, in that conversation in yeah, so many sure. ways. Seems like they stay. Maybe they intentionally stay out of those conversations. Who knows? Because they they seem to be relatively private people, based on what I've seen. True. Don't get that very often in well yeah. music. Full stop. Maintaining a level of privacy is very hard. I mean, not so much Downing anymore. Now. Downing just sure. vomits words into the internet and like whatever the repercussions are just doesn't matter. Yeah, true. I'd like to say, look, just keep it to your songs and vent it through there, but don't do that either. Just, just stop. So yeah, that he's said, really just, he's really ahead, spitting on his own legacy, man. <laughs> yeah. Big time. Yeah. But, but you know, it, it's his to do with what as he wants. So, you know, more true. power to him, I guess, but it's just a shame really that it's come to this point yeah but glenn tipton is deserving of those accolades because on a technical level he's pretty incredible Mm. yeah dude's dude's a beast um and he can play in so many different styles so he's so understated and you know what that's just in general the playing from all the guys on on this album i mean on all albums of course but on this album there's a lot of really cool things happening again buried in a mix that is very synth heavy which i get that's the vibe that's the the tone they were trying to chase for a more esoteric ethereal kind of topic but if scratch that surface a little bit and there is some amazing guitar work some great drumming and you know what even the bass just kind of is a lot more forward here and you get to hear what ian hill does another guy who just doesn't get enough credit because he does some really cool stuff on the four stringer yeah ian hill's a monster man like you don't get to just be the permanent bassist of Judas Priest and the only original member without having like a ton of merit. Absolutely. Yeah, he's um, one of the guys. And I'm also thrilled that you brought up Scott Travis, because just like we said in our Revelations episode, he doesn't always get the credit he deserves. And his performance on Revelations was phenomenal. He was probably my favorite part of that song. We were a little bit on the fence about whether we liked Revelations, but we did try to praise it where it was good. And Scott Travis was a highlight for sure. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. You're right. In Revelations, he does some really good work. Like I said, he does great work through all the uh, the songs that he's on. Yeah, Revelations, he's just got that really, overall, just a really good feel for playing to the song. And when there's space, that's when he can show off how good he actually is. And his timing in that is fantastic. I just like, I don't know. This album is perplexing to me. And I think it's perplexing to a lot of people because this is like a really grandiose concept album. And it's meant to be told in the style of an epic almost. Like Mm. I'm reminded of almost Dante Alighieri or John Milton when I hear these songs because like a lot of the lyrics are told in very poetic prose but the my biggest problem is that the music does not rise to the challenge when we talked on our revelations episode i find halford's delivery very flat and sort of uninspired and it just like i feel like it's not dynamic it seems i don't know almost like safe in a way that an album like this should not be yeah and i think for revelations that's very much an intentional thing because there's so much going on in this album. You can't, well, I, d- I don't at least expect Halford to deliver you know, a painkiller performance on 
every sure, single track. Enough. Yeah. And I think Revelations just kind of had that. It's that part in the story where Nostradamus is realizing, oh, I'm getting these visions. I don't know what the hell to make out of these. Are these good? Are these bad? Am I selected? Am I chosen? Am I insane? So there is a lot of uncertainty to, to that. And I think uh, Halford does a really good job in refraining from going any which way. He's just like, I don't know what's happening here. I don't know which way to go. And the vocals kind of reflect that. Whereas in other parts of this album, especially in, in this song as well, which we'll get to, he does go balls out where he yeah. does inject a little bit more of that dynamic. It's just that throughout the whole thing, he's picking his spots, mm. which probably has a lot to do with the fact that it's a long album. You can't hold that level for too long. And it just kind of fits with the narrative that they're trying to portray as well. That's my take, at least. It's a good take. I mean, there's, a, I mean, I'm certainly having trouble disagreeing with you. You raise an interesting Excellent. point about how you can't do painkiller levels of singing for an entire album. So that has to be thought with the intention that Judas Priest, they did want to perform this entire album as one concierto piece, like a big metal opera. And so if Nostradamus was more of a hit with the fans, in that alternate history, in that alternate timeline, we would have had Alfred and Glenn and KK performing the whole album on stage front to back. But yeah. we don't live in that universe, obviously. Yeah, that just never happened, unfortunately. I mean, on the Nostradamus tour, what they play two songs? Yeah, two songs. That's right. Um, this, this, and death. I think it was. That's all they played. And you know, um, that kind of it's kind of a bummer because this song is actually on a live album, and the live version is mm. actually quite good. Yeah. Um, so I saw you know. I, I, I saw that tour as well. And oh, really? Yeah. Uh, they came down. It was the first time I'd ever seen Judas Priest, and I was so looking forward to. It. I was so ready. You know, th- this is in 2009. So by this point, I've been a fan for five years. Yeah. Had all the time in the world to digest all their back catalog. I was ready, and I was so disappointed. <laughs> they they oh. really they didn't bring it. They really didn't bring it on that tour. I don't, I don't know if it's uh-huh. because of the end of the tour, and it's a long trip from wherever they were prior to coming down to Australia. And Australia's on the other side of the world. you got to factor all that sort of sort of stuff in. But it just wasn't that great of a show. I didn't come away going feeling wowed, especially because yeah. Glenn actually came in early on the riff of Painkiller. Um, I'm like, what? How really? Did he, how did he screw that up, dude? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was wow. the thing that stuck out for that show. They've since come back and they've completely blown my mind. So I've forgiven them for that. But it's probably just as well, I think, that they only played two songs from Nostradamus on that tour because that tour for me wasn't really spectacular. It it stood out for all the wrong reasons. Even an amazing band can have an off night. Something else I would add, that tour was close to the end of KK Downing being in the band, and they might not have had good chemistry at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. That would have factored in hugely. Yeah. Downing has cited that as one of his reasons for leaving was that he felt the performances were kind of getting stale and the energy just wasn't there. Yeah, I tend to agree. Just thinking back to that uh, that period now. It's complete night and day now. I saw them on the Download Festival too long ago now, two and a half years ago. Nice. That's how long it's been since we've had a big tour down here in Australia, guys. I'm, Jesus. I'm, I'm missing it, but they were outstanding. That was a, trans- a transcendental experience for me. So it was complete night and day going from 
being really excited to see Judas Priest and being a bit let down to being cautiously excited, not that cautious, but, you know, being really excited, but worrying and then coming away with a huge smile on my face. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm I hear away the excitement like, right now from you, just the yeah. way you're talking about reminiscing on that tour. I can tell you had a great time. Yeah, it was great. It, I, I happened to walk out and bumped into my wife as I was walking out there and she's got, I've never seen you that happy. <laughs> Like, That's amazing. Not even on our wedding day. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, honey. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> One more thing that I definitely have to get in before we move on. There's a great smooth transition between Dawn of Creation and Prophecy. Like the transition is like butter. You barely even notice that you've switched from one song to another. So there's a good flow there. And I want to give credit where it's due. Yeah. Also, a really good point. That that theme kind of keeps pretty well throughout the album. The the interludes and the songs transition really, really well. Yeah, you know, in terms of that layout, they've done a really good job. And on that note, let's transition to the next part of this song. All right, let's do it. Yeah. So, Tom, I want to know what you think about that part now that we've heard the first verse and the first chorus, because I want to get your impressions of Halford's vocals. Mm. Well, I don't think that they're very good. And I think part of the reason is more of the focus on the subject matter more than the performance itself, because they're really trying to tell a story here. And that could also be part of the reason why a lot of the more complex instrumentation and composition that we're used to kind of takes a back seat on this because I feel like they want to make it less about themselves and more about Nostradamus as a person. That's at least my takeaway from it because I really don't see any other way that you would want to tone down that aggression that you are known for. Agreed. And I think the vocal performance is bad by any stretch. Like they're just focusing more on the subject matter more than the performance. And that's very much a, a concerted effort. They've done that intentionally. And you kind of have to, to a degree, when you're trying to tell a story. It's easier on Painkiller where there's a much, much looser story. You can just kind of go balls out on, on everything else. For something like this, we kind of need to keep things on track. You don't want to take too much away from what you're trying to say and focus too much on how you're saying it. But overall, I think he does do it a justice in, in the way that he's telling the story, but still throwing in a couple little bits to show, hey, I'm the metal guy here. Don't forget who I am. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's little flourishes of it in there, which are good, but it's very much a case of yeah, we're here to do one thing and this is what we and this is what we're doing. Yep. There are those little flourishes like 
even though it's a more reserved performance than we're used to hearing from Halford, there are those touches where you do hear that he is pushing himself a little bit where let's say he'll extend a note. I am the darkness born out of light. And then he goes a little harder on the light and bringing the future to all mankind. Like, so he does extend some notes and try to add a little character to it, but it's not like full on ball out like you were saying it's a little more of a subtle showing off what he can do yeah yeah and yeah again it just goes into the point that you know not doesn't want to put in too much too soon this is a sustained album there's a lot to go through you know just drip feeding in what we know and love about halford and giving it in doses rather than just one quick fix in one go maybe not the best way that i'd want to get it but for the context of this album it it's it works perfectly very much a slow burn of an album yeah yeah i wouldn't disagree with you on that back to nostradamus yeah speaking of <laughs> on that note <laughs> i'm being needlessly cruel i'm sorry <laughs> someone's gonna be exactly might as well be me Okay, I so do love that bit. Feeling? How are we feeling about that chorus? You know, I gotta say, I'm actually kind of digging the lyrics that he's cooking up here. Definitely yeah. captures, I feel like, the mood of the album and probably the mindset that Nostradamus was in when he was alive and having these visions that to him must have seemed incredibly profound. Yeah, and also just positing the question to anyone who's listening, um, not just to the album, but as Nostradamus as well, you know, what does fate have in store for you? I mean, it's an eternal question, but the difference is I know what it is. Would you, mm. would you like to know? Would you like to come down and, and see what I see? It, it, it's that really good dramatic feel that Halford is so good at conveying. Um, yeah. You know, if he was around at the time of Nostradamus, he would have been the opera singer of the time, I think. Um, mm. But you know that's not the case. We have him now, and we're and we're much better off as uh, as people for it. We are very um, lucky. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's just where Halford is um, not compensating, but maybe uh, what's another word for it? Um, maybe it's just offset the, in the effort. Yeah. So rather than 
you know, going balls out with the uh, uh, with the uh, with the actual performance of the vocals. It's balls out with the lyrics. You know, adding the drama, the intrigue, and just the mysticism that surrounds the entire topic. He he conveys this so well, but in a different way than what you'd expect from him. It's yeah, it's great. Judas Priest lyrics do tend to be more poetic than your average metal band, and you can thank Rob Halford for that. And if you don't fully understand i'm talking to the listeners if you don't fully get how great halford's lyrics are go listen to jugulator and demolition and then come back and tell me how those <laughs> albums stack up <laughs> but, with the sole exception being cathedral spires the answer to that mm-hmm. is poorly true yes glenn tipton is a great guitarist Yes. Yes, he sure is. He is most definitely great at that field. Yeah. But over here in prophecy, we've got some really interesting words going on. So they're definitely painting a vivid picture here. I mean, that's that's like sort of beyond contention, in my opinion. There's definitely like the point he's trying to make and the sort of the picture he's trying to paint. It's all there. And you can tell that there's a lot of thought and careful crafting put into this. I agree with you. And master of chaos, anger and rage. I hold the key. My presence will unlock the cage. I am your witness. The one who can tell bearing the sword, the shield to your heaven from hell. He's using a lot of strong words that add to the vivid emotions that are trying to be conveyed. Sword, hell, rage, cage, chaos. There are a lot of words there with a strong, powerful implication. Yeah, There's a lot of allusions going on here. And it's, again, it's written much like a poem, you know, and I know songs are essentially poetry, but if you were to kind of isolate this and take it merely on its lyrical content, you could make an argument that this is a very beautifully written poem. Yes. It's also era appropriate as well. Um, looking at it from the perspective of Nostradamus as the narrator, um, think about the time period as well. We're talking, you know, the 16th century, early to mid 16th century. Um, the Renaissance was in full swing, but there were still elements of the dark ages there where, you know, you can be put to death for heresy. So swords and shields were very much a very real threat at the time. The concept of being put in a cage for thinking in any sort of way that wasn't Christian was a very real thing. The the Inquisition was still going on at the time. So to have these sort of esoteric thoughts and present them in um, in such a way was very much flirting with danger at the time. It seems trivial to us now, but at the time, yeah, um, he was very, uh, Nostradamus would have been very much putting these proverbials on the line to say, Hey, I can basically tell you future. Would you like to see you know, the danger is there that if you go down that path, you could get caught. You could be fronting an inquisition. And that's, that would have been horrifying at the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Horrifying now. <laughs> like- it, it sure is. But you raise a really interesting point that I didn't think of. Like we only know Nostradamus from looking back 500 years in the future but back then, based on the whole environment of the Catholic Church controlling basically all free thought, it was very possible that Nostradamus, the man, could have been branded a heretic, burned at the stake 
for trying to make himself act what with the powers of God for seeing the future or so-called whatever the case may have been. Yeah, that was, from what I've, um, I've researched, a very real threat for him. He was concerned about that. Yeah. Um, and there's some indications that he was on the Inquisition's radar, but never fronted, but it was never brought before them because even though he had, you know, some some experience in apothecary practices, some you know more esoteric practices, and and that was always a bit of a red flag for the Catholics. He never had any. He was never proven to have any ritual behind it. So you know he wasn't he wasn't openly doing sacrifices of virgins to Satan or anything like that. Yeah. So yeah. they weren't. They didn't have enough to. Yeah, uh, that would have been so much cooler. But no, oh, missed opportunity. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it definitely, he would have been on their radar and he would have been aware of the fact that if he steps a little bit too far to the left, he could be in some really deep shit. So hmm. um, yeah, it's it's really conveying that sense of danger, you know, come and take yeah. a look, but beware sort of thing. It's it's it's, it's really cool. And the way Halford has structured it, um, like you said, it's just, you know, he's done it really, really well. It's restrained, but at the same time, that's impending foreboding sense is definitely at the forefront. Hmm. Wow. That's an amazing perspective. Thank you. This is the kind of good content that we brought you on for ads. Hell yeah, man. Good fucking commentary. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Everyone wants to hear my opinions. Quick sidebar. Is that a watershed poster on your wall? It is. Yes. Yes. Very nice. Good shit. Honestly, Watershed's one of my favorite um, Opeth albums, which is saying something because I like them all. Um, yeah. yeah, It's not. Same here. It was the album that was new when I was getting into Opeth. And yeah, same. Um, I saw Opeth on tour. And so I'll never forget special. Michael Achterfeld was on stage and he just says, this is a song with no music and no words. And here it is. The good part's coming up. <laughs> he's got a real uh, funny sense of humor man yeah no he's very he, he's very cheeky as a musician yeah he's that dry wit that he has um i've seen opeth every time they've come down here and that's maybe six or seven times now and every set is a little bit similar you know they'll always yeah. end with deliverance you know they'll open that's always a bit of a constant but the stage banter in between is always really dry really reserved but always hilarious yeah never really touches on the same subject matter twice it's he's he's so great it's the difference between making like a dry observation and then frank mullen just prattling on for 15 minutes about whatever nonsense is on his mind yeah exactly One is entertaining and keeps you engaged. The other one is just shut up, Frank. <laughs> can you play a suffocation song for us now, Frank? <laughs> hey, can I please hear Abomination Reborn? <laughs> All right. We're about to get to what I think is the best part of Revelations, the instrumental passages. Let's hear it.
Yeah, that, I mean, like the strongest part of this song has got to be the solo work of Tipton and Downing. As it's a strong, I mean, on this album, it's as strong as it's ever been. And you know, when they choose to go in on their guitar work, I mean, no one can beat them. No, absolutely not. I actually remember first playing this album for a friend of mine. And I made the mistake of overhyping it, you know, telling that this is a big concept album and it's a huge story and blah, 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 blah. And that kind of turned him off it. Then this song kicked in and he was reservedly going, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then I just kind of saw his eyes light up at that duel, at that harmonized lead at the end of the, uh, at the solos. And I'm like, okay, yep, yeah, got you now. Lost him three tracks later, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> but that is classic priest. That's yeah. you know, what I mentioned at the start. That's exactly what you would come to expect from Judas Priest. And it's them saying, yeah, this is what we do. We can do this at any given time. And they've since gone back to that and still do it better than anyone. Um, but on this album, it's very much them saying, we can do it. We're choosing not to. We're doing something completely different. Yeah, everything about this album is very much the band doing it intentionally. I mean, Tipton and Downing produced and mixed this album, or at least co-mixed it. They um, did. So everything, yeah. So everything down to even how great the bass sounds in that lead breakdown is intentional. So yeah. this is very much them just saying, yep, we can do all the things you want us to do, but we're just not going to do it. Yeah. The, this is us doing what we do. And that's they've always done that, really. When you look back on, uh, on their back catalog, just here they amped it up to 11. Yeah, George had mentioned in our Revelations episode that this album came out exactly the way they wanted it to, because unlike a lot of other albums, maybe even all other albums that they've made, you know, they had a direct hand in the production. So, you know, what you hear on this track is exactly the way that they intended you to hear it. And again, it's cool seeing Priest like tackle a concept, you know, concept albums are not quite as in vogue as they were like 15 years ago. And that's kind of a shame, really, because I love a good concept album, though. I posted about that on our Twitter today. One of my favorite concept albums is Paradise Lost by Symphony X. You know, we're kind of a Priest inspired band. Priest is an influence, certainly. And but I think the difference is that Michael Romeo is like genuinely a composer and he writes these very grand sort of orchestral epics and it's kind of comparing apples and oranges, but I think it bears drawing a connection between these two things because we have one concept album that is flawlessly executed and is very large and grandiose and epic. And then one that I feel needed more work needed more time like could have been something that could come together to be more than the sum of its parts now you raise a good point tom because nostradamus does not exist in a vacuum and like it or not there are hundreds maybe thousands of other metal albums competing for your attention and if nostradamus if it's not clicking with you and you don't find that it stacks up to the other progressive metal concept albums you already know and love, then you're not going to be encouraged to keep going back and listening and trying to make it click. Here's something to think about. The first time I saw Judas Priest, it was on the Angel of Retribution tour, and the opening act was Queensryche. And Queensryche is extremely famous for their concept album, Operation Mindcrime, 
and mind crime like that album hits you like a fucking truck the first time you listen to it it's immediately approachable and yet infinitely deep and nostradamus like it doesn't compare like yes it gets better after repeated listens but the fact that you have to go through all those repeated listens and it's still not quite at the level of its competition it's not a bad album but it's not at the level where it ranks up among the top priest stuff in my opinion i was wondering how long it would take before here we are discussing a uh, concept album and someone mentioned my crime to be fair i thought it would have be me to. It's so the <laughs> album and listen priest is a band that influenced queensrike so there's no queensrike without priest but at the same time they made like one of the all-time metal concept albums 20 years before Nostradamus came out and it's kind of weird to see that like oh this band that is an opening act already did the concept album better than the people they were influenced by yeah it's a very they're two very different beasts you're right though um operation mind crime has a lot of depth and with repeated listens more of it gets revealed but even on the first listen this is just a good album you know you can just take away the concept and the story that they're trying to tell and just listen to some really great songs with this one and well the, the thing that my my crime and paradise lost which you know, you, uh, you mentioned before which also tom fantastic album uh, that's one of my uh, one of my favorite symphony axis uh, albums um oh, hell yeah dude yeah um, i'm seeing them on sunday i'm so excited Oh, that's awesome. Um, I've only seen them once. They've only been down to Australia once. Oh. And I was so looking forward to seeing them. Um, unfortunately, it was on the Underworld tour. So they played yeah. all of Underworld, which is a good album. I do Underworld enjoy it. So- it's got some solid tracks on it. Yeah, it's great. But it's it's not the Odyssey. It's not Paradise no, Lost. No. It's no, not Divine I, Tragedy. That's what yeah, I want to hear. I wish more than anything I'd seen them on their Paradise Lost tour. Mm. Yeah, but they were excellent. They were, uh, they, it was yeah. so much fun to watch them and just a joy to finally get to see them play. Um, Hell yeah. Side note, but Paradise Lost and Mindcrime have a very similar thing that they're, they're telling a story, like a big, not convoluted, but a very dense sort of story that's kind of, that is familiar, but at the same time unique. Here, what priests are doing are trying to be, are trying to tell the story of a man. They're trying to give, you know, the layers of um, of a man who's going through this otherworldly and awesome experience and trying to convey how he would have felt um, and then it to spread that with what he's seeing and trying to apply a little bit more of the human condition to these prophecies. So it's a different approach to a concept album. And I think, again, like, I mean, everything, like, like you said, George, everything they've done on this album is intentional. So they would have done that intentionally, probably just to steer clear of the mind crimes and the paradise losses of the world, just to stand out and do something different. And I respect them and I applaud them for that. And they definitely did convey a lot of what they're, they're trying to convey here. It does take a bit to, uh, to get into it, but they definitely succeeded it. Is it something that stands up as one of the best things you'll ever listen to? No, it just it, it just doesn't. But for what they're doing, it's very interesting. And yeah, just in a very diff- different way. They're very different yeah. albums, but you can't it's, not compare them at the same time. Yeah, it's hard not to draw comparisons, but I think that Nostradamus is still noteworthy for 
a lot of reasons that like other things like it's not noteworthy in the sense that it's a phenomenal album it's actually a very bizarre album and i have a lot of like some mixed opinions on it because there's there's some really cool interesting stuff going on here too and i don't want to take that away from them and you know for what it's worth you know rob halford kk downing all the guys in the band they stand by this album they're proud of it i mean yep it's hard to pull off a concept album because you have to really sort of almost confine, you got to confine yourself to a single narrative and you really have to build on that in a way that is cohesive that you just don't have to do on your like screaming for vengeances and what have you. Yep. It's a double-edged sword too. Um, Because even when you pull off the concept album, because for all the concept albums that exist out there, maybe being conservative about it, maybe half of them are good. The other yeah. half are not that great. Yeah, um, but if you're one of those bands who pulled off a really good concept album, that's going to hang over you for the rest of your life. You, that's that's going to be your measuring stick. And Queensryche, perfect example of that. For me, they've never bettered it before or um, uh, after my crime. They've never touched it. Even when they tried to, they fell flat. Um, even Dream Theater to, uh, to a degree. Uh, they That, that uh, Saints from Memory became their measuring stick. And it's always going to be the album that you're going to get judged upon for the rest of your career um for better or worse that's yeah. that is going to hang over you for the rest of uh, the rest of your life so concept albums are dangerous territory it's very tempting to go into it artistically but yeah the the, the end result can either make or break you in so many ways it's i, I applaud any band that goes into it or i don't depending on how well they went <laughs> i guess it all depends on execution judas yeah. priest could not resist the call of the concept album and what was Nostradamus? Maybe the 16th album. It came very late in their career after they already tried a bunch of things. And I think they felt, okay, now it's time. Now I think we're ready to really do something different. In the context of the band, they reunited with Halford a couple years before they started working on Nostradamus, had a really successful reunion tour, Angel of Retribution, Beloved, Back to Basics, Judas Priest album that recaptures the 80s sound and brings it into the 2000s. And now they didn't want to just go for the same old again. They went in a completely different direction. And you're right. It's not a Queensryche album and it's not a Symphony X album. And comparing them is like you kind of have to because it's a concept album, but you kind of can't because it's a different band. It's a Judas Priest album. And yeah, for better or worse, like you said, Tom, this album came out exactly the way they wanted. The yeah. producers were Glenn Tipton and KK Downing. There was no outside force telling them, hey, you got to cut this song down and you got to change this and leave this off the album. No one was telling them that. They produced it. Yeah. Double-edged sword is definitely an apt phrase, ads. Yep. Um, just in, t- in terms of where they were at as well. I mean, at this point, they were starting to tease that this might have been the end because shortly after Nostradamus came out, they did the Epitaph tour as well. And it, it felt like at this point, this was kind of the Judas Priest reaching their end. So yeah, them going out of left field and just saying, okay, look, we're at this point. We're probably going to pack this in. Let's just do something we've always wanted to do. And you know, damned who, uh, damned who likes it and who doesn't. Um, yeah. And I think Halford's return had a lot to do with that as well. Um, look at Halford's solo career away from Priest. 
releases two, which kind of got dragged across the coals, um, deservedly in some ways. And then he comes out with his solo effort, Halford, and the first and Resurrection is a fantastic album. And he follows it up with Crucible, which again is not as good because he's just kind of subverted expectations. I could give you more of what I had before, but I'm not going to. I'm going to do something different. We're going to go in a more, you know, in a heavier, kind of thrashier direction than what than the classic metal than we had before. So Halford coming back, I have no doubt, had a lot to do with. Judas Priest going in a completely different direction again. And they kind of telegraphed it right away. Even just looking at the artwork, the, the font for the name is different. Um, yeah. Right from the get-go, this is something different. You may not like it, but we don't care. <laughs> and we're Judas yeah, Priest. Yeah. Who, who's going to tell us otherwise? Yeah, it's like, do something about it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was just a weird period yeah. for the band in general. You know, like you said, KK Downing was gone shortly after all this as well. Um it's just, it's a really interesting time capsule to see where the band was at yeah. and where they wound up. Wow. 14 years later. I still haven't gotten over that, George. Thanks for that. Yeah, that really. felt old. <sighs> no that problem. Exis- that existential dread hits different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the context. How old are you, Tom? Uh, 29. Okay. So Nostradamus has been out relatively half your life. Wow. There I you did go. not need you to tell me that. <laughs> yeah. Well, too late now. Um, Wow. I, need to, I, need to lay, I need to lay down. <laughs> no. well, don't do it yet. We have to finish the song. Yeah. Yeah. If I, I, maybe I said this already, but I guess the context of when this album came out and where these guys were in their careers is really important in considering the creative decisions that they made. Yeah. You're very right. It is with every album, but for yeah. this one, I kind of think it needs to be highlighted more, which I'm not sure yeah. what that says about the album itself, but there it is. Again, just a fascinating character study. It's like George says, nothing nothing exists in a vacuum. Yep, exactly. All okay, right, let's wrap this up. Home. All right, gentlemen. Uh, Travis has a real nice fade out with the symbols over there. Yeah, some decent fill work going on too with I think his floor tom. And, you know, again, you can never take away his contributions. He's actually very good on this album. Very tight, very well coordinated. Yeah, absolutely. I do love the change in tonality um, for uh, the lyrics as well um, for that final verse. You know, because like I mentioned before, up to this point, it's Halford going, you know, step forward and see the beyond, but do it carefully. Whereas now he's just saying, yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm the full-blown voice of God. You know, the, the, you know it, it's he's kind of shed 
the fear as the character of, Nosh- of Nostradamus, who's just gone from being, oh, uh, okay, uh, I think I've got something here to, no, I've got something and it's going to blow your freaking mind. Come and uh, take a look at this. It's just a really interesting change in, um, in, in, in tone. There's this idea within Christianity and I'm not sure to what extent the other Abrahamic faiths explore this idea, this idea that if you as a mortal being were to look upon the face of God, you would go insane just by like the sheer power that was be, that'd be projected onto you. And, you you know, yeah, you literally could not comprehend the face of God if you saw it as like in your mortal, like physical form. And I guess to one extent or another, you know, exploring esotericism can definitely lead you down some dark paths, you know, as someone who has dabbled in that sort of thing myself, it leads you to places that can really shake your foundation. And especially with the subject matter of this album, you know, the things that Nostradamus was, what he believed he was receiving were visions of God. It's like you said, you know, come take a look, but do it at your own peril. Because you, I mean, I can't guarantee that you're going to enjoy what it is that you see. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. But just that extra tinge of, you know, the final line, the voice of God, and just adding, you know, dropping uh, dropping it down, flattening out the, uh, uh, that note, and just adding that extra element of confident danger. You know, yeah, like this is not something you could probably ha- you can handle, but I can. So follow me if you dare, sort of thing. It's yeah, yeah. Just uh, either way, you can uh, uh, switch turns around like that, especially yeah. for something so big. Is really it, it's understated, and I don't think Halford gets enough um, credit in general for his way to be able to shift tones through the lyrics, not just through his performance. So, yeah, I'm really glad that you brought this up because I definitely want to note that the chorus changes a little bit over the course of the song. Like it starts out, I am Nostradamus, do you believe? And by the time you get to the end, it's I am Nostradamus, the voice of God. So I think you touched on something interesting with the increase in confidence. I also like the chorus just in the sense that as the first real track, it's kind of summarizing what the story you're about to hear is going to be like. It's like, I am Nostradamus. I have these visions. I've gone through doubts. I've wondered whether these came from gods. And then I've sort of come to terms with this. And then after the last instance of the chorus, the song just keeps dialing into the drama because then Halford starts talking about celestial comets about to hit the earth alchemy's tempest pray for deliverance and so on and it's like well shit we're just really going into a journey now man yeah it's um yeah holy shit dude slow down um (laughs) but that's what's really good about this song it still maintains all the classic elements of judas priest but in many ways it's an overture to this entire album it sets the tone tells you what's going to happen but it still would slot into a preset now, quite quite happily, and sit there quite and, and, and sit there perfectly. It's a it's a really well constructed song in that regard. It does a lot of things that it needs to do, and does them all really well. Tom, let me get your final thoughts on prophecy, man. The added context of everything that Ads has been talking about tonight just makes it all the more fascinating of a subject matter. 
But that being said, I'm still not convinced of the song itself, the way it comes together. It's just, it does not excite my brain. You know, the way that probably just going and learning about Nostradamus in a book would probably be very exciting. But I also think that this just does not come together to be greater than the sum of its parts. But there are definitely some really fascinating concepts going on lyrically and thematically. And that's, again, just what makes this album so complexing. I mean, perplexing is how odd it is. It's a, it is an oddity. And that alone makes it very noteworthy. This is one of those songs that I want to like more than I do. And I don't dislike the song. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. And I have some good things to say about it. Like the bass and drums, they rock just like they always do. The instrumental passages in the middle. In fact, I would say that that's a very traditional priest kind of dueling solo and melody. And maybe I would even rank that as like a sleeper choice on the list of really great priest uh, solos. But, you know, when it comes to the rest of the song, it doesn't quite meet the bar of energy that I expect out of Priest. And I know that they're trying not to overdo it. They're trying to serve the story. But I think they could have told the same story and still done it while going a little harder on their performances. Yeah, they definitely have that capability. And again, I hate to compare anything Judas Priest to with Painkiller, but you have to. That's yeah. that's their album. Um, yeah. But Painkiller has not so much a story, but there are some running themes about yes. how every, the running theme for it is heavy metal is taking over the world. And that's a fantastic utopia we can all hope for. Uh, um, agreed. Yeah. And they managed to pull that off with very loosely tied together songs about with similar with similar sorts of themes going on and each song just stands stands alone quite well and within the context of the album it flows really well as uh, also so it is they're capable of doing that and but again i think it's more of a case where they've looked at that and gone yeah we can do that but we have done that so here's us doing something completely different and it's not not for everyone it didn't get me at first. I had to give it a lot of time before I really started uncutting. There's still a lot to unpack. I've listened to this album dozens of times, and sure. I still don't think I know it that well. So there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot that they've done in here. There's prob- there's certainly more there to explore. The question is, how motivated is one going to be to actually do that? And I think you're only going to have to be a hopelessly diehard fan like me to get to that level. You know, someone who isn't really as big of a fan or doesn't know the band as well, it's probably not going to be as motivated, which is a shame because there is a lot to explore, but I get it. And there are people in the world who just, they just plain don't want a deep listening experience. They want the song sort of delivered to them and not have to think too hard about it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, on a Friday night, I'm going out, I'm going to go see a band, I'm drinking beers. I don't want anything too deep and convoluted myself. I just want faster than a bullet. That's all. Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, for Judas Priest, they kind of have that association in metal. So it's not, again, this is not something that they, that you would have expected from them, but they did it anyway. And it exists. Deal with it. Whatever. (laughs) There we go. Uh, Really the long and short of it. It's like cope. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and plus, they've done what th- two albums since, and yeah. they're both excellent, especially Firepower. Yeah, so it's there's not too much to really be upset about. It's not like this is like the end of Priest, you know? Yeah, very true. And going and going back to that point where it felt like this was the end of Priest, they were getting ready to wrap this all up. If they had ended on this note, it would have been a little bit of a downer. Um, yeah. It would have been, and, and if that, and conversely, if they had ended on Redeemer of Souls, it would have been better. Um, yeah. At least they ended on a good note. But I'm glad they didn't, because you know, even if they end now on Firepower, what a fantastic note to end on. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's really nothing too much to complain about now. They've yeah. given plenty before, and they've given some great sense. Yeah. One Enjoy my- the album for what it is, and if you don't like it, that's fine. There's plenty of others you can go to. Yeah, man. It's like very I mean, well said. I'm a big fan of the dissection album Rain Chaos. Um, yeah, a lot of people are a lot of people are not, and I can understand how if you know that was the last album they ever recorded. I can understand why if you didn't like that album, you might be bitter about it. Yeah. I personally adore that album, um, and Somberlane and Storm of the Light Spain are still legendary. So you know, again, fucking cope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you so. Nostradamus is absolutely a fascinating sort of musical study. And I would absolutely love to continue this conversation going into the future as we talk about more songs on this album. It sounds like you're not hating the album quite as much as you used to, Tom. No, and I've never, I don't, I don't like to say that I have ever hated this album, you know, the same way that I don't hate Iron Maiden. I just like it's it's an album that falls short. I guess the point I'm trying to say what I'm trying to make is that I wish this album had been more. It's what it could have been that is more frustrating than what it is. Yeah, that's that's more than fair. I mean, it's funny to say that, you know, Nostradamus could have been more when it's it already is so much. It's a two-hour album. Um, yeah, it, heavy, it is a lot. Yeah, true. Yeah, with heavy orchestrations and some really deep thematic uh, progressions going along. Yeah. But yeah, fair enough. Uh, I get that as well. It could have been something truly noteworthy. And it still is noteworthy. Yeah, I'm just not sure if it's noteworthy for the right reasons. Yeah, and that's basically where I land on this on the spectrum of Nostradamus fans. Ads, thank you so much for joining us. You've been giving us real interesting commentary all night, and it's hard to believe that this is your first podcast appearance because yeah, man, you're a natural. Sound like a pro to me. Yeah, straight up, man. No, thanks, guys. This was fun. This is a big tick off the uh, off the bucket list. Hell yeah! It's always been a question of confidence. Do I want my voice to be heard to the masses and you know be what it is? So doing this has been a, an important step. Um, so thanks so much for having me on board. If you want to keep going with this pleasure. conversation, you want me to get involved, I'm more than happy to go along. Or if you Oh, definitely. Just, Would love to have you back on again at some point. I'm sure you've that, got great stuff to say about other albums and other songs too. So, hey, listen, thanks so much for joining us. And please join us again sometime. We'll definitely do that. Thanks so much for having me again, guys. The listeners want to hit you up and talk some priests. You want to drop your Twitter handle? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, it is a uh, big F K N A D Z. Yes, it it just says big fucking ads. That's yeah. It's, there you go. That's me. <laughs> um, 
there's a lot of talk about priests. There's a lot of talk about metal, and there's a lot of unhinged late night moments where I just make a bunch of cum jokes. So be prepared. (laughs) A man after my own heart. (laughs) Exactly. And Tom, where can the listeners find us, man? Listeners, you can find us on Twitter exclusively where we post about mostly Judas Priest and whatever else comes to mind if and when I'm in a manic state. If you'd like to hit us up on a more personal level, you can always email us at metalgodspodcast at gmail.com. Awesome. Thanks again, everyone. Ads, please sign us off. With pleasure. Stay locked in and keep defending the faith. Sorry, I, th- I think that um, Ashley just beat some boss in Elden Ring. <laughs> Yo, fuck that boss. <laughs> oh, hold on. Yep. I beat the tree sentinel. All right. <laughs> fuck that asshole. <laughs> fuck the tree sentinel. <laughs> oh. There's only one sentinel to talk about here, and it's not. <laughs> uh, I'm proud of her. That's a that's a <laughs> fucking hard game, and it's really frustrating. Yeah, it, it looks hard enough that I honestly haven't tried. <laughs> it looks yeah. like some sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, right now, they, uh, where I'm at in my life, I don't have that kind of time to be frustrated. Maybe down the track, but right now, sure, no, I it's not where it. I'm at. <laughs> You're on that dad schedule. Yeah, absolutely. Pardon me for a second, guys. Uh, you're good. All right, so good news all around. Also, George, Gotta, I just looked at this beer bottle, so, and it says to drink before February of 2021. I told you. It was in the back of your it's closet fine. for two years. No, it was in the back of a freezer, not my it was closet. in the back of the store's basement for two years. Yeah, and they were like, ah, oh, fuck it. Someone will buy this. Um, so like, I was going to say, like, this does not taste remarkably fresh. <laughs> for the most well, part, I think that's tomorrow, more just how beers kind of ferment. I think it's more to do with how long it's sitting in the bottle than anything yeah. else. Yeah, um, it's not sure. going to go bad, but you know, no, okay. it's no. probably not going to be as good. Exactly. I And I think this is definitely not as good as it normally would be. Just act yeah. like a wine snob. Oh, my beer is aged and it is two years past the sell date. <laughs> and this beer has aged into a fine vinegar of acid. <laughs> yes, the most resplendent at all vinegars from this region. Yeah, that's <laughs> now, with only the most finely fermented poison. Yeah.